the developed world has to do a lot more having said that even if they don't do a lot more the i do see rapid progress happening i do see many positive developments so i am kind of i am pessimistic on the finance transfer front that is very clear i am not at all pessimist pessimistic on the actual substantive progress within india it's happening very fast welcome to another episode of energy talks the podcast where we discuss global energy issues and trends with experts from around the world I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop, and on this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Vaibhav Chaturvedi of India's Council on Energy, Environment, and Water about his recent paper, Peaking and Net Zero for India's Energy Sector CO2 Emissions. This is the first attempt to describe decarbonization pathways to net zero greenhouse gas emissions for India. So welcome to Energy Talks, Vaibhav. Thank you, Markham. Very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to the discussion today. Now, China gets a lot of attention for net zero pathways and their commitment to not uh, 2060. We don't talk about India in North America very much, and I think that we we need to do that more. And so, I'm very interested in your in your paper. Could you maybe give us a brief overview of it, please? Sounds good. Yeah. So, so definitely China is the big elephant in the room for the US, not just for the US, I think for the world, uh, especially in the energy and emission debate, but India is growing fast, right? And that's why India is also a very big player in the climate policy debate uh, globally. Uh, so just talk a bit about the paper that we have released. Net zero is a very important debate. Uh, and a lot of countries have announced uh, plans for net zero. China has done so by for 2060, uh, Europe, Japan, South Korea, by 2050, with a new ad administration coming in the US. Uh, the US is also planning to go net zero by 2050. So many countries the big emitters essentially are doing so. so India is uh, another big emitter, which has not done it till now, but increasingly there is a lot of pressure on India to do so. See, we, we just want to understand it better, that what are the options India has got in front of it? And that's what the study essentially is about. There are, uh, there has been another analysis by the International Energy Agency for India. That is also looking at only one scenario. What our studies try, study tries to do is to look at some alternative options so because it's never about one scenario for policy making. You need to evaluate the alternatives and you have to think about the trade-offs because there are very important critical trade-offs, both uh, uh, environmental and economic. We need to better understand that. So and that's a larger framing of the study to look at the alternatives and to just better understand the trade-offs so that we are able to make more informed policy decisions in, on this very important net zero debate. Yeah, so that's what it is about. Well, let's, uh, I'll just briefly describe the four scenarios. You've got 2030 peak emissions with 2050 net zero. That's a, a common one in, in other uh, countries. A 2030 peak with a 2060 net zero, a 2040 peak with a 2070 net zero, and a 2050 peak with a 2080 net zero. Yeah. Uh, so, where now generally when we talk about decarbonization we're talking about power generation buildings mm -hmm. transportation and industry and so let's talk about pathways on the power generation side to begin with uh, yeah. but 75 percent as i understand it of india's power, electricity comes from coal and mm -hmm. uh, most of the remaining from renewables dominated by by hydro what options are available to India to, to uh, wean itself off coal and move to a to net zero on, uh, on power generation? Yes, yes. 
So, so before I come to the electricity question, I just want to highlight one thing because you said that 2050 is common across many countries. So the net zero year is common. The peaking year is not common. And that is something very important to be specified. Uh, the developed countries have peaked long back. You know, Europe has peaked, peaked like in the mid 1970s. Uh, US has peaked in the mid 2000s. So, uh, and China is yet to peak. I think 2030 is what they have said is their peaking year. So uh, for, a, for an economy that is already kind of a, a pretty rich economy or developed economy, uh, and the growth rates are lower, it's easier to kind of peak and decline. So, so when we say 2050 for U Europe and US, they're already on the declining trajectory and they have to achieve net zero on that trajectory. India is a fast growing economy and is expected to grow even faster. China is expected to taper off by 2030. In any case, the growth rates are going to slow down. It has got like 30 years or almost 40 years of like humongous growth in the past. So after that, they're kind of tapering off by 2030 and then they plan to net go net zero. India is kind of taking off. So that's a very important point to be made that peaking is yet to happen and that's going to be very challenging for India. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I'm, uh, your growth rates over the last 20 years have been almost 6% a year. And you've got 1.4 billion people in a, in a labor force of uh, well over 500 million. And, and the, there are uh, per capita income is still lower than, than countries like China. And if, so, of course, you can see uh, it makes perfect sense that India would want to continue to ha uh, prioritize economic growth and per capita growth and, and so on. But at the same time, uh, that's very dependent on fossil fuels. And so yes. it, it's, it's a real struggle, I would imagine, to yes. balance decarbonization and continue to grow at those kind, kinds of rates. Indeed, yeah. So it is a struggle. Uh, and the, the, the climate, in the climate debate, India is the, uh, it always wants to kind of show leadership. And it is doing already, if you look at India's domestic policies, it is doing like a lot of, effort. I mean, a huge amount of investment in renewables is already happening. Tremendous gains in energy efficiency already happening. The electric vehicle market, especially on the passenger side, it has really started to take off now from the last years because many, many companies have started unveiling models, electric variants of their uh, you know, core kind of products out there in the market. So a lot is already happening, but the economy, the growth rates of the economy are so fast that still none of this is good enough to kind of peak and then decline. We need to do a lot more. And that is why, yes, you're right. It is a struggle as compared to other economies of the world, which have already got the lower growth rate. So the effort gap, so to speak. So in the report, we have termed that as an effort gap, you know? So the effort gap is kind of lower for all of these economies. It is much higher for India. Uh, and uh, the effort gap is not just a matter of growth. It is also a matter of the, uh, you could say, the cost of mitigation. So if you got very cheap solar, if you got very cheaper electric vehicle, then it obviously it makes sense. People will, and the market will automatically move towards these options, right? Grow High growth or low growth, whatever. They will automatically move. Uh, the challenge is that in the next 10 years, we do see power sector going, uh, I think very good development happening in the passenger tra transport, also very good developments happening. We don't see similar developments or options in other sectors, especially industrial sector, uh, as well as the freight transport sector, which is going to, freight transport is directly dependent on the growth of the economy, especially the growth of the manufacturing sector, which India is kind of focusing in terms of its domestic policy. It is often said that India missed the manufacturing bus. So that's kind of a very common phrase used in India. So we kind of directly move from the primary sector-based economy to a, uh, a service-based economy. 
so now we have to you know think about decarbonizing in options across all sectors which are not available that is why it kind of makes it you know very challenging for india as compared to other countries of the world yeah but if you look sure. at the power sector uh, great developments are happening and to to answer you uh, solar is moving very fast there so it's a very positive thing that is happening uh, on the on the power sector challenges do remain because integration of variable renewable is uh, is challenging uh, and we are finding solutions for it uh, yes but that's how we are kind of moving ahead okay so um solar and wind uh, now are the cheapest forms of generating electricity so that makes perfect sense mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. india would focus on those and they have tremendous resources from from what i understand yes. so what are some of the the challenges that india faces in integrating large scale uh, wind solar and i guess batteries into its power grid yeah so the challenges of integration are uh, essentially the same india hasn't got any specific challenges so to speak see globally anywhere around the world if you have to have like 80% of variable renewable energy in the grid you need to have a lot of backup you need to have a lot of storage and what is important is that there has to be some sort of matching with the demand side uh, which will so when does your peak happen for example uh, the the colder regions of the world will have a very different kind of seasonal and you know uh, demand variation seasonal and daily kind of variation india has a is a very hot country so in summer time when the ac loads kind of you know really come on board so it's a very, it's a, in that sense the demand is very different but the challenges of integration do remain uh, they are same so one is the technical challenges Se second set of challenges are what are class classified as market design challenges so even if you have got the technology available is the market design appropriate in the sense it is able to generate incentives of the right kind for the right investors to move in and then achieve whatever we as a country want to achieve uh, and that is a much more trickier thing because technologies can always be discovered you know but tweaking the way the markets and the systems operate uh, takes a long time you know and that is the more tricky part uh, and yeah that's what we're trying to understand better essentially in the power sector I think that is uh, based on the, the interviews that I've done in uh, in other countries. I think that that issue of market design and the uh, policy and regulatory framework, uh, everyone struggles with that. It, yes. It's a very difficult situation, and in a country as big as as India, uh, I would imagine that that would magnify the the difficulties. And yeah. uh, I don't under uh, don't know a lot about uh, the way the Indian government is structured, but uh, other yeah. countries generally have states, you know, subnational governments that have a lot yeah. to do with uh, with regulation and policy. Is that the case in India? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's similar case in India, but of course there are big differences. And in this this question is extremely important because it goes at, at the heart of what is the what are the key reforms that are required. even from a decarbonization perspective so market design if we talk about in let's in europe and us uh, the current uh, setup of electricity systems and markets it's kind of very market based right so so there are market based principles which guide even as of now the operation of these systems in india it is not the case which is very interesting so india has got uh, big state owned utilities so there is a, essentially a lot of state government involvement uh, indirectly uh, which is which is uh, managing the distribution whole the whole distribution systems of the country so the privatization and uh, you know private sector's role is very very limited uh, and then there are huge subsidies on the demand side so the people like me households get huge subsidy it's a political issue so i am from the richest state of india in delhi 
and even and if i am happy to pay but i get like pretty significant subsidy on electricity uh, and so basically affordability of electricity is very important part of india's energy policy which is why this setup you know uh, and uh, that's why we kind of penalize the industrial sector so industrial sector has to pay much higher uh, and residential sector pays much lower now these kind of things are not really there in many other economies they are is currently based on market principles they have to move a very a, a different kind of market principle but it still would be a market principle here we have to make a phenomenal jump from something that is heavily you know government owned operated and all those things are there to a, a very different kind of market based system which is the appropriate market design and that is the challenge you know uh, in in india's polity Uh, here in Canada, the electrical system is uh, primarily uh, uh, controlled by the provincial governments, or regulated uh, by the provincial governments, and historically, that means uh, government-owned uh, monopolies uh, or near monopolies on power generation, transmission, and distribution. Only one province has gone to a market-oriented system. and another one has a sort of a hybrid system that doesn't work real real well and the rest all have government owned monopolies and in the era of decarbonization and electrification many of them are about to struggle with how yes. to integrate market design into those systems it's not yes. an easy situation so here is a country like canada where it has very sophisticated uh, utilities and and uh-huh. regulation that's struggling with this. And so I would imagine other countries are like India are going to struggle uh, just the same. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, how does India have a plan to reduce its dependence on coal which accounts for 75% of its power generation. Yeah, yeah. So yes, so we do have very ambitious renewable energy targets for the power system. Uh, like something like 450 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2030 and it's a it's a tall order so on renewable energy india is kind of you know going faster than almost anybody else in the world so but that is by and large the plan uh, because the economy is growing at such a fast pace so of course there is a, a kind of gap that can be met by renewable energy uh, and the pace of addition of coal power plants that is clearly slowed down a lot which is i think great from the decarbonization perspective that does not mean that you know coal is going out it's not so clear yet you know the writing might be on the wall but it is not super clear that coal is just on on a declining trajectory it's not that it's not that uh, the additions are slow but it's they're still there right so the the whole that's where the whole net zero debate becomes so critical uh, net zero and peaking together give a very good sense of uh, policy certainty and credibility they are very strong policy signal and uh, one can never underestimate the power of a clear and credible policy signal so it is that's why the debate becomes so important if the if such a signal is there then it will be very clear to all the investors in the power plant se- segment and all the industries that are kind of dependent on fossils that well eventually they need they have like 30 year window whatever the window is but they have to get out of it so they will start making plans around it and that's why uh, that that context is very important and that's why this debate becomes so important um in your uh scenario chart uh mm-hmm. if india is going to peak by 2030 uh, the most mm-hmm. aggressive policy uh, approach uh it has to have a share of 
uh, non-hydro renewables have 70%, and that declines to your, uh, at the other end of your scenario, 28%. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, I'm struck by your emphasis on carbon capture and storage, uh, because that's an area of great debate in, in North America. Yeah. Uh, and it's fairly expensive at this point. It's not yet up to scale. Yes. Why is uh, carbon capture and storage uh, so important in your scenarios? Yeah, well, uh, we, we have presented scenarios and results for carbon capture and storage with and without CCS, essentially. Uh, so CCS is, an, is a very important element of the debate because it does matter for your systems. Uh, so that's why it is there in one set of scenarios. But we also present uh, you know, results where CCS is not there because the debate in India also like in the rest of the world. Uh, it said CCS is a is a kind of a theoretical technology and it's unproven yet, and we can't really you know base our plans on unproven technologies. Uh, you know, if a breakthrough happens, that is great, but we can't really you know develop a plan around such potential breakthroughs, and which is not just true for CCS, it is also true for hydrogen. You know, you see a lot of debate around hydrogen, and it's exactly similar. In early two thousands, we saw a lot of debate around hydrogen, and nothing happened after it, right? This time, the, the level of investments is much higher, which is great. But the thing with any breakthrough is that, well, it, if it happens, it's great, but you can't really base your plans on that. So that's when in our scenarios, you see uh, the numbers that you're quoting would be like without CCS scenarios. And if you have CCS, then essentially you could have a lot more fossil in the system as, still because CCS is there. So it's something like 35% of your primary energy could still be based on fossil energy. If CCS goes out, then essentially you have to, you know, almost get out of fossil energy. That's very clear. And that's what uh, we are highlighting that if you want to continue your, you know, use your domestic coal reserves, because energy security is also an important issue. India has got a lot of coal reserves. If you really want to continue using coal, well, what is the option? CCS is the only option, right? Uh, and if, But if that is not there, then, well, it's a very different world. So what we have done is, done is presented all these options, all these scenarios, and then just uh, you know uh, for stakeholder discussions, informing the policy that well, if you don't believe CCS is going to happen, then start thinking that you have to be much more aggressive on renewable energy. You can't do with like sixty percent renewable energy. You have to go like ninety percent renewable energy by twenty fifty. If CCS is not there, so those are the realities. These are the trade-offs that we have tried to present. Uh, speaking of uh, renewables, and I guess that brings up solar and distributed uh, generation. Um, yeah. Right now, I would assume with the emphasis on thermal plants that in, in yeah. India is like other countries and has a very centralized generation and distribution uh, system. But the uh, solar bring, raises the prospect of moving to things like community uh, yes. generation. And, yes. and perhaps even eventually uh, rooftop solar, those sorts of things. Yes. Uh, what role do you think um, that uh, technology will play in a decarbonization pathways? Yeah, yeah. So uh, solar is very important. And now you're referring specifically not to like big grid connected solars, but distributed solar. So India, as, as far as its policy goes, a distributed solar has an extremely important role to play. So we have very ambitious targets. It's just that in reality, we have not really managed to achieve a lot on distributed solar. Uh, and that is a, that is that could be a bit because of information asymmetry. 
uh, but that is also because of uh, you know as i talked about this uh, you know cross subsidy uh, pricing in the electricity systems so when people like me pay less less charges for electricity right grid connected electricity the incentive for me to invest in a solar like my own solar is is like is much lesser compared to the commercial sector so uh, of most of the rooftop uptake in india has happened in the commercial segment because the charges are so high there it makes sense to invest in rooftop they are much more cheaper that is but the real uh, potential is actually in residential rooftop that's where the real potential is which because of this pricing policy we have not been able to reap so much at least yet but the governments and across the states in fact across state state governments are doing a lot in terms of continuously understanding tracking this situation and then kind of tweaking the policies that okay what do i need to push uh, you know rooftop solar or distributed solar very so hence very important part of policy just that it's a matter of time i'm thinking that it will also get big in india Uh, let's talk about transportation for a moment because that is uh, obviously yeah. a big source of uh, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, my understanding of indian transportation is unlike north america where it's cars and trucks and and individual vehicles there's a lot of two and three wheeled vehicles in yes. india and of course that has seen a tremendous amount of growth in electric bikes for instance yes and is there a poss- uh, a possibility of shifting a lot of the like scooters and motorcycles and so on that are fairly polluting uh even though they're they're fuel efficient and cheap uh is there an opportunity to move those out of the fleet and bring in replace them with electric bikes yeah so so definitely there is an opportunity there's no doubt about it and and shifts shifts are already happening both in the car segment and as well as the two wheeler segment but if you look at the big story of india you know the big story of india is traditionally because it's a lower income economy traditionally we have been dependent a lot on public transportation be it indian railways be it long distance or short distance buses you know as people grow richer they will start buying so first you buy a two wheeler as you grow even richer you will buy a four wheeler you know so that transition is happening so india's story when we look at that outlook for the future uh, the story is a very car dominant story so whatever good gains in efficiency technology level efficiency that, that we are reaping all those gains are kind of go- we are we are you know letting them away or not able to really capitalize because this big shift towards car is happening cars four wheelers is happening and that's a big story in india right the ownership rates are very low there i think around 19 per 1000 in europe uh, it's around i think 3 and 1/2 uh, i mean 3 and 1/2 350 per 1000 uh, so uh, it it is a big difference Uh, and india is growing very fast and that's a big story and only uh, if we are able to do big decarbonization or big strides in the car segment the next 30 years story will still be heavily fossilized so uh, yes two wheelers are very important but cars are also i think it, that's a big story in india what about public transit which i understand is is very yes. important in india and, and yes. in canada we've had a, a big move uh, of just in the last year Uh, with the federal government financing the electrification of buses for instance okay. and that would seem to be uh, buses and shuttles and and other forms of public transportation would seem to be an area that's ripe for electrification is that the case in india yeah so so it's a great example that you gave uh, because the technology is there but the example you gave was also about financing right that the government is financing and it's the same challenge in india the technology is there the go- many state governments do want to invest in electric buses because they are better they are less polluting 
and pollution is increasingly becoming a debate, big big debate in India, many across many Indian cities. So they do want to invest, but the initial capital cost is much higher. Even though the li- lifetime costs are cheaper, the initial capital costs are much higher, which essentially needs needs financing, uh, and financing from you know government budgetary sources, which are always constrained. And so that's the big kind of hump that we are facing. But yes, you are right. Tech- technology is there, and everybody is making an argument that it's like kind of a no-brainer to move towards electric buses. It's just that this financing thing, which is kind of stopping us in a big way, initial capital investment. Yeah. Well, let's talk about industry, which makes up about twenty-six percent of the your GDP. Um, is there an opportunity to move to electricity uh, or mm-hmm. some kind of low-carbon fuel like hydrogen? Uh, it, what, what are the what are the opportunities there? Yeah, yeah. So, so the industry story in India is is very interesting uh, because, as I, as I talked about the uh, the cross uh, subsidy structure, right? And I, as I've already talked about it, that electricity is so expensive that there is no in right now less than almost twenty percent of industrial energy use is based on electricity at just twenty percent. So essentially, only the processes. where there is no other option but to go for electricity only those processes are electrified everything else is fossilized right just because it does not make sense to pay three times the charges energy prices right so that is a story uh, so the electrification of end use sectors including industrial sector is extremely important uh, now if you look at the building sector uh, like residential and commercial they are already heavily electrified so india is a hot country so even the thermal air conditioning right so in colder regions you could be, you could do it based on gas or based on oil or based on electricity you have got options in india it is kind of largely air conditioning which is already electric, electricity based right so there is no fuel switching option for the building sector transport passenger transport is already moving towards electrification in a big way a lot of very positive developments are happening right a uh, freight sector is challenging but at least passenger transport is moving industrial sector even if there is a, a opportunity and it it also has to electrify there is no other option but this cross subsidy structure is kind of it is an element of india's domestic policy where they have made affordability is a much more important element than industrial competitiveness uh, because of which this we are stuck kind of here and unless and this is one of the most difficult things to do because uh, you have to change the structure and it a very sort of uh, uh, strong political will is required to do this kind of reform uh, but once let's say we are able to do it whenever we are able to do it then electrification will i assume will take off there is no reason it will not from the decarbonization perspective it is imperative you know there is no other way out uh, now coming to hydrogen another fuel very important but it's kind of unproven yet uh, we base our assessments on the best available knowledge currently not on potential breakthroughs you know potential breakthroughs will anyways change the game right so based on current knowledge hydrogen is we are not seeing so much of it coming it is only electrification happening in a big way which is required to happen Let's talk about uh, air conditioning because the International Energy Agency has warned that as climate change uh, becomes more increasingly a problem, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, air conditioning uh, use will grow, and of course that puts a strain on the electricity system and makes planning and decarbonization just that much more difficult. And given mm-hmm. that India is a hot country, do you pers- uh, do you expect that? uh cooling is going to be a major uh issue policy issue that governments are going to have to grapple with yes it it is going to be a very 
in fact it is already a major policy issue so india has got india was one of the first country in fact the first country to have a very detailed uh, india cooling action plan so it was already unveiled you know a couple of years back more than a couple of years back now uh, cooling is a thrust of policy uh, as of now the estimates are almost i think only 7% of indian households own an air conditioner so it is something extremely important uh, that the growth rates are going to be very high with increasing income i mean because thermal comfort is very important uh, india is a hot country so, so the moment you get kind of you know get rich enough you buy an ac for your comfort your family's comfort the growth rates are very high uh, and yes they are they are also energy guzzlers right so they are electricity guzzlers so so there is it's a no brainer that whenever in any any state when the the cooling penetration is higher the load curves change completely because you know the load curve, the, the whole demand pattern shifts uh, dramatically uh, and yes of course it is a very important part of policy and that's why the government of india has got a very successful star labeling program so the five star labels are i mean it's a program which is almost uh, more than a decade old now hugely successful uh, but yes there is a lot long way to go there also uh, because all the more efficient acs which are like the five star acs they are also much more expensive Uh, as compared to less efficient ACs, and people have got the choices, you know. So many people buy; most of the people end up still buying lesser efficient ACs. Uh, yes, I think it's a very, very good progress happening in that segment, and that is a very important segment for the policy. Now, um, you mentioned in your study that if India is going to meet any of its decarbonization pathways, it will probably uh-huh. need. financial assistance from from yes. uh, developing world international institutions um is that likely and if it is which of the decarbonization pathways uh do you think uh india will choose or will uh, hit eventually yeah so so that's a great question that is it likely or not well what we have seen uh, from the developed world in the last you know decades as well as the even the pre 2020 climate actions we have seen a lot of kind of uh, commitment theoretical commitment on paper commitment we have not really seen any delivery on it right so that is the reality of the global climate finance debate uh, right so the debate uh, i mean whatever they say they are not kind of delivering on it right so yes if you talk talk to me about the likelihood of them coming for especially for financial support uh i think uh, it's very unlikely you know it's very very unlikely uh, and and that is that is what is going to be a big kind of uh, i see a area of uh, you know tussle between the developed world and the developing world uh, because while you are continuing the screws on you know ambition that india also has to mitigate till 2050 even though the incomes are so low it's a big developmental challenge and all so you are tightening the screws there uh but you are not doing anything to kind of support the transition essentially you have abdicated your historical responsibility that is your essentially you have done so the debate has become unfair but at the same time india also realizes that well if india does not really do much it is going to be you know bad for climate so it's not a good thing to do essentially not mitigating is not an option right and it is not an option not just for the world but even for the country's population because india is one of the most vulnerable countries given that we have got a huge coastline Uh, we are a hugely agriculture dependent economy and we are also a low income economy so the combination of these three factors make india very vulnerable so india has to do for its own sake but also for the world sake in this unfair debate that is also very clear the debate is going to be unfair 
highly unlikely that finance will come in technology because of the patents involved uh, has always been this fuzzy thing of technology collaboration so many kind of discussions have happened nothing in terms of actual on ground development has happened on on that front also so yes very i am not at all i i am hoping but uh, i don't think that is going to pan out uh, yeah well uh, i i'm sorry that we have to end on a bit of a pessimistic note uh, but it sounds to me if i were to summarize uh, that uh, many of the trends that we see in the developing world, we also see in India, uh, mm -hmm. but, but it's a matter of degree and scale and, and ability and, you know, to finance, for example, these yes. kinds of things. And it sounds like if India is going to meet its objectives, its uh, decarbonization objectives, uh, that it is going, to, you know, the developing world is going to have to come to the table with its checkbook. Uh, otherwise, it, it's highly unlikely that any of these uh, pathways will will uh, be achieved. Is that a fair summation? Yes, definitely. The developed world has to do a lot more. Having said that, even if they don't do a lot more, the I do see rapid progress happening. I do see many positive developments. So I'm kind of I'm pessimistic on the finance transfer front. That is very clear. I'm not at all pessimist pessimistic on the actual substantive progress within India. It's happening very fast. The question is only, you know, 2050 net zero that the world is talking about. Can that happen or not? That is a big question because that then becomes, you know, too much of an effort and it could have very strong developmental implications. But if not 2050, it might be 2060, it might be 2070, but it is going to happen sooner than later. So I am very hopeful and I'm, I think there are very positive developments happening across sectors. Uh, yeah, so which is a great thing. Uh, Veva, thank you very much for this. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion and uh, uh, good luck with uh, the developments in India. We'll be following it closely and hopefully we'll have you back on for updates. Great. Thank you, Markham, for inviting me. It was a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to our future discussions. Thank you.